love music, live sport. Pole Position with Andy Alston and Adam Todd on Rock Sport Radio. Hello and welcome to Pole Position on Rock Sport Radio. It's Andy Alston with you alongside Adam Todd. We're broadcasting live on DAB Digital Radio across central Scotland on TuneIn and online, talking motorsport from 8 until 9. So on the show this week, Ferrari win again, but Vettel feels the pain. Touring cars are back as Turkington leads the pack, and will Toyota go astray at Rally Turkey? All this and more on Pole Position. But before all that, it's a welcome return for you, Adam. It is indeed. Great, great to be back on, on the show after a nice week sunning myself last weekend. So yes, back to the great British weather as usual. Ah, lucky for some, a week off and I'm in here slumming it. Huh? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, what, do you, what do you make of the action then? Formula 1, Italian Grand Prix last weekend, Ferrari's Charles Leclerc making it two wins from two, of course. But um, Valtteri Bottas, second place for Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton taking the final step in the podium. Yes, well, I had the luxury of watching it in three different languages. Um, <laughs> and I have to say the Italian commentary is far more interesting, certainly at the end, when, when Charles Leclerc won. And that really indicates the passion that, that for what Ferrari means to the entire country of Italy. When Ferrari win, Italy wins. And it, it's very difficult to describe just how big Ferrari are in Italy because there are really no comparison to the team. Uh, Italy just lives and breathes Ferrari. Everybody supports Ferrari in Italy, so a huge, huge win for Charles Leclerc and Ferrari because that was a must-win race for them. Belgium and Italy, the way the season's first half of the year had gone, it had been disastrous, it had been embarrassing, so they had to come back fighting, and Charles Leclerc certainly has huge win for, for the team. And the way he held off Bottas and Hamilton was impressive. You know, it was very aggressive certainly towards Hamilton some will even say it was too aggressive and he should have been penalised I think the key thing that for Mercedes that they can take from this race was that they were competitive at a track where mm. Ferrari were expected to, to dominate so again Mercedes can take positives and for Ferrari well they've won these two races now we're going into uh, Singapore where it looks as if they'll probably struggle and if they can get a podium there then that's probably a, a good result for them. So it'll be interesting to see how the next races play out, but certainly at the moment, Ferrari have won finally an F1 race in Belgium, and like buses, two have came at once. And Adam, just going back to Mercedes for a moment, were you surprised that Hamilton switched to the medium compound? Well, it was an interesting decision from Mercedes. They were obviously looking to do the, the undercut in Charles Leclerc, and it very nearly worked. And I think at that stage of the race, it was always going to be a stretch for Mercedes to do that with, with Lewis Hamilton to go to the end of the race. You saw it, his tyre just got to, to that cliff edge and they pitted at the end. I think had they, they switched to the other tyres, or had he actually passed Charles Leclerc, he would have been fine. So I think Mercedes took the gamble, they gave it everything. And in the end, I think the great thing for Mercedes is they know if they take a gamble and it doesn't work, they're still going to get the same amount of points because Vettel was out the race by then. Red Bull had penalties, so they didn't really lose anything because Valtteri Bottas was still there for them in P2. Now, it might have been a good weekend for Ferrari's Charles Leclerc, but the same can't be said for his teammate Sebastian Vettel. After spinning um, at the chicane early on before getting a 10-second stop-goal penalty, after crashing into the racing point of Lance Stroll. So, joining us on pole position to talk more about this is James Eagles from our friends at the Checkered Flag. James... Thanks very much for joining us on the show again. Do you get the sense that Ferrari are now running out of patience with Vettel? Oh, well, thanks very much for having me back on. And 
I do, in a sense. I mean, it would be difficult not to. They they brought him to the side from Red Bull to head their charge post-Alonso. Uh, there was a lacking Kimi Raikkonen. And they needed someone to spearhead a title charge against a, a growing Mercedes side. Uh, and it just hasn't worked out. He's had some good moments here and there. 2015, he put up a good performance. Um, 17, he was fine up until Singapore, really. And then it all started to unravel. Uh, and 2018, there were just too many mistakes, even though he had a more concrete title chance. And he, he's just been nowhere this season. And there, there are so many uh, theories flying around as to why this is happening. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not sure that we'll ever quite get to the bottom of it, as it has been a dramatic fall away. James, it would be easy to stick the boot in here and say, oh, it was another unforced error by Vettel at Ascari and so on. And But, but for me, that this is just part of his makeup as a driver. He, now he's, what, 32 years of age. He's simply prone to mistakes. You know, it's, it's not like he's a, he's a young guy and, you know, he's just finding out the hard way and, and the spotlight's on him at Ferrari. This, this, is, part, this is part of who he is as a driver. He, he, he's got a couple of mistakes in him a year and, unfortunately, it, they, they just keep piling up. Yeah, I mean, even at Red Bull in his uh, championship winning years, I think Martin Whitmarsh called him the crash kid when he hit a button uh, in Belgium in 2010. Um, and then there was the incident earlier that year with, with Weber. So he does it in Turkey, so he does have these moments. He, he always has them. He always will. Don't forget, he has the record for the quickest ever penalty in Formula One, nine seconds into his career. So it is something that he has. Um, all his career, but it's about limiting these mistakes. I mean, uh, Michael Schumacher, someone who he, I'm sure he's desperate to emulate, said, I have one mistake in me a year, so if I can get it out of the way in the first race, then that's great. And um, Seb just doesn't quite have that. He needs consistency to beat a driver and a team uh, that are incredibly consistent in Hamilton and Mercedes. They don't always uh, blow the opposition out of the water, but they don't need to because they have this incredible consistency. And Ferrari may have won uh, the last two races, but Mercedes has more constructors' points out of the two of them because they've got double podiums in each of them. And that's the thing that makes the difference from a team's perspective. And then you, you see Vettel struggling uh, down the field, making errors. Okay, he may have had his vision impaired uh, coming back onto the track, but he's experienced enough. He must know that this might be a bad idea at the time because he wasn't on the racing line. Um, and just... Yeah, probably a little bit of frustration. Uh, all getting away with his teammate at the front. Maybe um, it all started in qualifying with the fast that was and not getting the toe from Charles Leclerc as uh, I think was Ferrari's plan. Now, James, just staying on qualifying for a moment, do you think that, um, you know, if rumours were to believe that there was a few strong words said behind the scenes here, but, but for me that it's a bit too little too late for Ferrari because this isn't the first time that Leclerc hasn't followed team orders. So they can't go to this point of the season and say, oh, I'm sorry, Charles, but if we're saying you've got to give Seb the tone in the second run, you've got to do it. The cat's out the bag. Yeah, and the chances of him actually doing it were, were so slim. This is someone who uh, really wants to win for Ferrari. Um, he couldn't enjoy his, his victory in Belgium for you know obvious reasons, but... This weekend, he wanted to have a weekend to celebrate about. And he got that. He uh, got the job done early on in qualifying. Uh, and then if no one else is playing ball, really, why should he? And uh, I think Benotto said uh, on the radio afterwards, uh, after the race, saying that 
all is forgiven. Um, it would have been quite interesting to see the reaction because they kept it private, uh, which is different to, say, the Arriva Bene era. I could imagine that leaking out uh, into the surface before Sunday's race, and that would cause a, a whole host of issues. Uh, but they kept it private, and now everything looks smiley on the surface. But uh, yeah, if you dig down a little deeper, the, the relationship between Seb and Charles, is, uh, I don't think, is quite the same as the one he had with uh, Kimi. Um, and maybe that irks him a bit as well, as Kimi was, was always glad to, uh, uh, to pull over, it seems, um, in his second spell at Ferrari. James, do you think this is a sign of Leclerc being a winner, or is that a sign of potentially someone who could cause a team problems down the line? No, I think it's um, I think it's a healthy attitude to have. I I believe his mindset has really changed since uh, the incident with uh, Verstappen in Austria, losing the win uh, th- uh, that way in uh, turn three with the the contact. And we saw a different Leclerc immediately at Silverstone. He said, you know, I'm going to race. I know the rules now. I'm going to play by them. And he gave Verstappen a taste of his own medicine. And I think now he's going to bring that all the way through his career. It may work. It, it, you know, I think everything he does is firm now. The Hamilton incident was borderline, maybe a little bit naughty. But um, the FIA was happy with it. And if they are then, or in the, if the stewards are happy with it, then it should be fine. They, they're trying to encourage them to race. He wasn't giving a warning. I thought the skipping across the chicane uh, was a touch cheeky, um, as that's a, a move that others have used in the past, not just in F1, but in uh, junior series. I think we saw it with um, was it Seto Camera in the F2 race as well to try and stay ahead. Uh, but it, all of these things are just the makeup of, of someone who wants to be a world champion. Verstappen has it as well. Um, Vettel had it. Hamilton had it. Um, and he had to have it against Alonso when, when he was young. Um, it's just something that, that makes the champions stand out above the, the very good drivers. Hi, James. Adam here. Just on that controversial move between Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton, it was a thrilling race at Monza, great for the fans. But Lewis Hamilton, he was obviously up after the race and he made comments about the new generation of drivers um, getting away with more aggressive driving. What's your take on Hamilton's comments post-race? I, I, don't re- I don't really agree with it because, yeah, as I said, when he came into the sport, he was the same. Uh, some sort of moves where he, he was a big Senna fan and he liked to defend like Senna. didn't take it quite as far sometimes, but still, he had that edge to him. Uh, and every driver has that. I don't think they're going to change it for the younger generation because We've seen some racing in the midfield that has gone unpunished. They brought back the black and white flags for Belgium because Gasly was uh, um, trying to defend his position a little too strongly uh, into Lacombe. So I, I don't really see that. But you know, who knows? He might take that, and uh, you know, his conservative approach of late may change again. But I, I think uh, I also saw him say he didn't go for the move on Leclerc or sort of try something stupid because of the title fight. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think it's that. I just think it maybe comes to maturity with the older drivers and they know not to do these things when actually uh, they could be deemed as legal. Now, many people seem to be writing off Sebastian Vettel as a four-time champion at the moment, which I seem utterly ludicrous because he's only 13 points behind Charles Leclerc and the, the driver standings at the moment. And, of course, points doesn't tell 
the entire story, but points do win championships ultimately. And, you know, while Leclerc's won two races, Belgium and Italy, he's done very well since the summer break. But before then, as Andy mentioned, we've had team orders and he's also made a few mistakes along the way as well. So it's not been a perfect year for Leclerc either. Vettel's made mistakes and he seems to be getting all the attention. Do you think Vettel just needs that one victory because oh, it's been more than a year and then perhaps that will ease some of this pressure that just seems to be building and his confidence seems at an all-time low? Yeah, um, I thought Germany would have been the turning point with that fantastic drive from 20th to 2nd uh, at a, a track which really you could trace his um, horrible sort of time frame, this uh, maybe 12, 14 months back to Germany 2018. Uh, but it just it hasn't happened. I did find it a little bit odd that everyone's talking about Leclerc as the default team leader at Ferrari. When you looked at the championship standings before Sunday and you could see Vettel ahead of Leclerc and you think, well, hold on. How many team leaders are there that are behind their teammate 13 races into a season? Not many. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think Ferrari really has a number one. Their attention may switch uh, with a few more races like this. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, Seb, as I said before, he needs something like a win um, and just eliminate these mistakes, whether it's something to do with a car uh, and it, it, it's sort of uh, instability at the rear. Um, I, I'm not sure. That's it, it may just be confidence as well, but it is something that has to be pinpointed. I don't know if anyone in the media can do it, it may only be Sebastian Vettel and he'll be keeping it quiet because he, he does own up to his mistakes even if uh, they aren't totally, or on, they're not totally his fault, let's say. And how frustrating do you think it is for Vettel at the moment watching Leclerc win in Italy and obviously Alonso nine years ago was the last man to do it in Ferrari at Red because as you mentioned Vettel came in after the Alonso years and helped to rebuild the Ferrari team because they were at an all time low after 2014 the first year of the new hybrid era you know they were dreadful Fernando Alonso celebrated finishing ninth in Bahrain that year and then in 2015 the narrative around Ferrari seemed to change Vettel's free victories and then 2016 didn't go quite according to plan but in 2017 had a good title bid up to Singapore and then 2018 was the year when it was meant to all come together and now all of a sudden after all these years of Vettel and Ferrari working together to get to a position where they can win a world championship it now looks as if Leclerc is going to be the man to build in Vettel's success. Yeah, it must be immensely frustrating. This weekend may even rank as one of the worst in his career. He, he'll probably think he should have had pole position if uh, qualifying three had ended in its natural way. Uh, and he'll be kicking himself for this mistake. And everything, uh, going back to when he joined Ferrari, he saw this chance to rebuild a team. Red Bull, it was going nowhere for him because Ricardo came in, beat him on pretty much every metric, which uh, was incredible to think that this four-time world champion had been beaten so convincingly by a, an Australian who was previously best known for smiling in a Toro Rosso. Um, and he's tried to take Ferrari back up to uh, to the top and it looked like it was going to work but it just hasn't either through uh, some technical problems uh, part of the Asian leg was was ruined. You, you think about Malaysia, the problem in on the grid and then Japan in qualifying um, and even last year in Japan the wet the whole um, tyre debacle 
going out on was it intermediate tyres on a on a bone dry track. Uh, so all these things must be building up because it's, it it hasn't just been his mistakes; it's been Ferrari's mistakes. That was something that was talked about a lot last year on the uh, on the strategy side, um, and now he's got to a point where I think Ferrari. Uh, have realised what they have to do with design philosophy for next year. They've probably gone a bit too far on the straight line speed uh, for this year, um, backed up by the fact he hit 365 kilometres an hour behind George Russell uh, on the weekend. Um, and, yeah, now now the young guy, Charles Leclerc, has come in. A Ferrari homegrown talent, something that they, they really want after years of poaching other drivers, and he's taken the spotlight. So... It must be getting worse, and I can't see his contract with Ferrari being extended beyond, uh, I think it runs out at the end of next year. Mm. James, always a pleasure. Thanks very much for your time here on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers. That's James Eagles from our friends at the Checkered Flag there. And stay with us as we talk about all things esports in Scotland, up next on Rock Sport Radio. If you're a fan of Scottish junior football, then Just the Juniors is a must-listen for you here on Rocksport Radio. Nobody brings you more or better coverage of the junior game on radio than Bill Kilgower and John Redmond. Unrivaled knowledge, interviews with the managers, players and people who run junior football in Scotland. Every Friday, 8pm to 9pm is when you can hear Scotland's flagship junior football show. Make sure you're listening. Just the Juniors, brought to you by Plumbase, the trade's Premier League team. Leave the winter outside with Plumbase's hottest offers in Feel the Heat brochure. Get yours at your local Plumbase branch. Have you ever lost money on an investment? If a high street bank persuaded you to buy a stocks and shares ISA, unit trust or investment bond and you lost money, Goodwin Barrett can help you get back thousands of pounds in compensation. Even if you don't have the investment anymore or the paperwork, Goodwin Barrett make it easy to find out. Text GOOD to 6677. That's GOOD to 6677. You don't need a claims management company to make a complaint, and if unsuccessful, you can refer it free to the financial ombudsman. Do you hear that? That's your family coming round to your new house for Sunday lunch. Your son opening the door of his first home. Visitors arriving at your guest house. Friends coming over to watch the football. Scottish Building Society offer a range of mortgages, so we can turn this into this. Scottish Building Society. We've been helping people open doors since 1848. Call us today on 0345 600 4085. Scottish Building Society is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. It's easy to put things off. I'll sort it tomorrow. It'll wait. Well, turns out if you're a man with prostate disease, the sooner you spot it, the better it can often be treated. So if your dad or brother have had prostate cancer or you're having trouble with your waterworks, do something about it. See your GP or visit prostatescotland.org.uk for more information. Prostate Scotland. Pull your finger out. Love music. Live sport. Pole Position with Andy Alston and Adam Todd on Rock Sport Radio. Now, you could go from virtual racing to a real place on the grid next season with a drive-on offer in the SMRC Legends Championship by taking part in their new eSports competition. Now, the SMRC have launched this championship to find out the next big talent 
from virtual to real life racing. So let's find out more by speaking to Rory Bryant, who is the business development manager at the SMRC. Rory, thanks very much for joining us. How did this all first come about? Hi there. Um, yeah, great to, to be with you, first of all. Um, thank you. Um, the, this new initiative, it's, it's a bit out of the box, and um, it's been something we've been working on uh, for the past uh, couple of months or so. Um, effectively, I think esports is a sort of phenomenon that's it's not something I fully understand, I have to say, but it's, um, it's really increasing in popularity across all sports um, over the past uh, few years, and I think it's got, you know, sort of estimated, I think it's about 400 million people or something are involved in the industry uh, worldwide now. Um, I think the, the sort of difference with motorsport and, uh, and other sports uh, in this sort of arena is that actually the, the skills um, that you need to be successful in the virtual game are uh, kind of transferable to real life. And we've kind of seen that uh, in the past with the, the Nismo Academy and so on. So um, I think it's really it's based on that realisation that there's this opportunity to um, engage with these this new unknown sort of untapped market, I suppose, to an extent um, as a sport. And just it's trying to yeah, evaluate how, how we can link with the virtual world and uh, how we can get, uh, if, if it's possible, um, if there is a link, and if it's possible to try and convert people from, from virtual to reality as the kind of flying goes. So what are the entry requirements for this competition? Um, effectively, anyone can enter. You've got to be um, 16 or over. Um, and basically, if you've got an iRacing account online, um, you can you can enter. It's as simple as that, really. And the good thing about this competition as well is the, is the drivers running fixed setups for a good part of it too. So what that's meaning is it's just about pure racecraft. It's just about how quick you can get that car around the track. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I guess similar to how we operate our, our championships um, in real life, it's trying to keep the um playing field as level as possible and um yeah you can you can fix the the actual setup so you can't um spend hours and hours and hours on the game beforehand perfecting the setup and then you know going quicker than everybody else which in, in fairness has obviously got merit but um we're trying to just make it as easy for people to to turn up and, and be competitive on the night and uh, have a good time so, Rory, t- tell us a little bit about the prizes on offer, not just for the winner, of course, but for the, the runners-up and what have you as well. Yeah, well, we've got, so obviously, the, the first prize is the, the fully funded race weekend in the legend next year, um, courtesy of um, Andrew Donald at uh, Scottish Legends Racing. And um, that prize is going to be supported by uh, Reese Motorsport Insurance as well, who will provide the insurance uh, for the event. And Torque Racewear are on board to provide the racewear and everything for the, the the individual that wins the prize, so it's a it's a really good it's a it's a all all funded prize. Uh, Knock Hiller on board to provide the arts test for it, so that's that's the first place prize. Um, second place prize again is uh, an arts test, um, which is uh, obviously the, the test you need to do in order to to get out on track and race, um, which is great. And um, the the third place is kind of awarded to all the semi finalists. And they will get um, an invite, a VIP invite, to one of our race meetings next year to come along and get a tour around the event and find out how they get involved effectively. So um, it's kind of, there's 14 people will make it through to the, the semi-final, which is going to be, as you've probably read, on the uh, 2nd November up at Knock Hill. Um, you're providing us with some track time on the cart track to do a sort of 
hot lap shootout with the guys. We're going to have Robert Reed along, who's um, 2001 World Rally Champion, to uh, help with uh, the evaluation. He's got a huge amount of experience in uh, performance sport and um, sort of helping to evaluate people. And of course, Graham Carroll. It's great, great to have him uh, on board, and he's he's going to be up there as well, doing an assessment on the simulators in that day. So it's um, yeah. A pretty, uh, pretty full-on um, opportunity for people. Hi, Rory. Adam here. How important do you think it is for the growth of motorsport to to really embrace esports because it's such an expensive industry, motorsport. But but with esports and programs like this and initiatives like this, this is really giving opportunities for drivers who would perhaps miss out due to a financial cost. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that that's the thing is that you can obviously, um, all right, fair enough to go. Uh, e-racing, you've got to have, a, I suppose, a steering wheel set up and a computer. But you know, once you've got that, the, the costs are, are very limited. And then that's you know, a good way of you building your skills initially. Um, and um, if we can create, um, you know, depending on how this competition goes, if it if it's successful and we can make it run more in the future, then I think that there could be uh, definite opportunities for, um, but yeah. It, highlighting that clear pathway for people um, to move from virtual into reality uh, more often. I think, um, from what I understand, there's quite a, a substantial gaming community in Scotland. Um, and, you know, part of the rationale for doing this is really just to highlight that um, we're on your doorstep and this exists. And even if even if it just raises people's awareness of the, the sport and, uh, and it means that they come along and spectate and that maybe means they they get involved in their shape or form if they don't initially get involved in the racing side of things. Um, you know, that's all That's all good stuff, all building engagement and all getting more people along to our event, which is ultimately what we want. And Rory, looking at the SMRC as a whole, what's been your targets as business development manager this year? Um, we're really looking to, you know, we've, got, we've sort of embarked on a three-year plan to try and uh, grow the club in all aspects. Um we're really pleased at the moment. I think we're fifteen uh, percent up uh, overall in our uh, entries from last year, which is is good. Um, it's a tough time at the moment. I think um, across the UK for for the sport, um, you know, it's, it's I don't know if it's the, the political environment or um, you know the the economy, but it's certainly um, it's certainly not easy right now. But we are making we are making progress, which is really good. Um, we started a number of new initiatives. This is one of them. I think uh, you know Glenn's been Glenn Alcock's been fantastic being on on this channel. I, I listen to his updates all the time, giving us a, a good hearing, and he'll been telling me about a lot of the other things we've been launching, such as the the Women on Track campaign and the Ladies' Day at uh, the last Knock Hill event, which is is all important because um, you know we want to be as inclusive as we can as a club. So we've um, we've launched that as well. Um, and yeah, we're making just I think steady progress overall towards our targets, and um, it's yeah, it's it's kind of been in 2020 planning mode now for the last, last couple of months. So we're really we're kind of focused on that now, um, which um, you know is going to be good. But we've got we've got one round to go this year, um, and uh, I don't know quite where the year's gone. It seems to have gone pretty quickly, but um, most of our championships are still undecided um, going into the last round which is uh, is, is great and it's going to be, be an exciting meeting on the, the 6th of October for, for everybody to come along and see and, and speaking of Glenn there, he's racing in the new C1 Cup this year, you must be delighted with how that championship has gone so far 
Yeah, I know the, the C1 Cup's been a real success. Lowering the barriers to entry, I think the, it's really been, um, I think seven, I think around 75% of the people competing in that championship this year are complete newcomers to the sport. And just because of the low costs involved, um, it's really kind of opened the door up for um, new people to get involved, which has been great. Um, and indeed, I've actually just been at a meeting today with another college, um, Glenn, so hopefully going to have some more competition next year um, from the colleges. You'll maybe not be happy about that, but um, it's good from our perspective. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, no, the, the C ones have, have been really great, and I think the, you know, the drivers are great as well. It's everybody's. So there's a real community getting built there, and um, the, the driving standards have been good. There's not been any big uh, tiffs or uh, contacts, which is good. And um, yeah, I think that's just going to grow from strength to strength next year. And Rory, just finally, what would your advice be to anyone who's maybe noticed this new esports competition and are thinking about getting involved? Um, I think just you know go onto the website, have a look at the information, and, and give it a bash. You've got nothing if you're not in it, you, you definitely won't win it. Um, if, if if nothing else, it will be good fun. Um, and get in touch with us as well. You know if that leads to. Um, heightened interest in the club and what we're doing. You know, come along and uh, to one of our race meetings, meet uh, meet our representatives, find out all the different ways you can get involved. It's not not just as I say, not just necessarily about being behind the wheel on the track. There are other opportunities as well, uh, with scrutineering, be it marshalling or or in the organisation of the, the club. And um, yeah, just get behind the wheel and uh, uh, in the virtual world, and, and hopefully that will uh, help you pave pave your way into reality. Great stuff, Rory. Thanks very much. A pleasure to chat with you here on the show. Thanks very much for your time. That's Rory Bryant there from the SMRC speaking to us on Rocksport Radio. Now, Notkill is the venue for the latest weekend of action in the British Touring Car Championship. And earlier, our man Michael Lenny caught up with Championship leader Colin Turkington and started by asking him about how much he's looking forward to this weekend. Yeah, Notkill is always a highlight, you know, a personal highlight on on my calendar, it's um, you know somewhere where, where I have spent quite a bit of time. Um, you know, I studied uh, at Stirling University, so uh, Knockhill was um, w- was the local track, and I still have a lot of friends and family go there. And not only that, it's probably one of the best. Uh, well, it is one of the best circuits on on the calendar. It's um, you know a unique challenge, completely different to to the other circuits that we go to. Uh, you know, you really have to. Pack it, and uh, you know it's a, it's a massive buzz driving around there. So, so I'm looking forward to getting up to Scotland, and uh, you know hopefully keeping the, the championship charge uh, on track. And as you said, there you went to Stirling University. How much access did you have to the track at that time? Do you think you've got uh, quite an advantage for the extra time that you spent at Knockhill? Uh, I I spent very little time actually on the uh, on on the racetrack during that period. I I did some instructing at Knockhill, but primarily on on the old rally school. So um, it didn't doesn't bring with it any uh, any extra advantages. And uh, you know I've I've raced at Knockhill now probably for um, you know for over fifteen years. So. Uh, I do know the place pretty well, but uh, so do the other 29 drivers on the grid. Uh, so it's you know the BTCC is uh, ultra competitive, so um, everybody's uh, driving at a very high level. It's um, it's a combination of you know 
how how well your car is behaving on on the day and and how good a lap you can string together. But uh, you know, certainly I'll have a lot of support there, so that always counts for for a lot. And do you think it's a circuit that'll suit the BMW 3 Series? Uh, Knockhill's always been quite good for 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 rear wheel drive. Uh, you know, for BMW in, in particular. Uh, you know where, where we are strong is the is the slow medium speed corners. You know we have good traction with with the BMW. Uh, it will be the first time we've we've brought the new three series to to Knockhill. But uh, you know I don't foresee us having any issues. You know it's it's our sort of circuit. You know it's the type of track that uh, should work to the characteristics of of our car. You know it's um, you know we have a very good chassis and. Um, you know, all around a good good package, you know, good engine as well. So, uh, you know, I think we should be able to be up the sharp end. You know, that said, as, as championship leader, I come into the weekend with some uh, extra success to ballast in the car. You know, I carry an extra 54 kilos because I'm leading the championship. So, um, you know, that could make qualifying and race one uh, tough. But, um, you know, there's three races on the day, so still uh, an opportunity to score good points. And the track was resurfaced last year. Could that bring some of the front-wheeled cars into contention as well, uh, coming out of the hairpin, for example? It's difficult to say. Uh, last year was uh, was very wet on on race day. Uh, you know, the track was quite a bit quicker. Um, you know, not not as bumpy as it had been before the resurfacing. So, wet and dry, there was uh, there was quite a bit more grip. But uh, race day was you know was really wet, so it was. Hard to to see the relative performance of of the cars, and um, you know we had a particularly strong qualifying session uh, last year with with seventy five kilos in the car. So um, I think we'll we'll know a bit more by end of play on on Sunday. But um, you know right now we're just focused on uh, trying trying to give you know our, our best performance, trying to get the most out of the BMW. And there's a fair bit of elevation change throughout the lap. How do you set up the car? For this weekend, it's um, you know we we bring what we've learnt through through the season. Knockhill, um, it's the setup of the car is never static. You know it's always evolving through through the season, and you sort of pick bits from from circuits that you have been to before. Um, you know you, that you think might also work at, at Knockhill. You know we were very strong at Croft and Oldham Park. Um, and those circuits have some similar features to Oldham Park, so you know you, you pick a little bit of that information. But also, Knockhill requires uh, some unique settings on the car, you know, because of you know down through Duffus and over over the over the chicane, you know, there you know those corners require a car that gives you confidence, but also quite a bit of stability. So um, you know, Knockhill does does require. Um, you know its own setup, so uh, you know we just look back at what we done last year as well, and um, you know you put your best guess uh, forward. Now we we said earlier on you have a, a fair bit of experience uh, at Knockhill. What's the secret to a good lap there? Uh, holding on tight, I think, is uh, <laughs> is, uh, is, is is a good starting point. Um, you know you have to attack the lap. It's uh, Knockhill is all all about. Using the curbs, uh, trying to be brave, you know, carrying as much speed as you can, and you know, I, I always think if you're slightly scaring yourself, then you're going fast. Um, so you know, knockout does reward bravery, and um, you know, you got to be prepared to get outside of the comfort zone a bit. But 
you know, that's that's part of the challenge that, that I enjoy. It's always important to get a good position in qualifying, but is it even more important at Knock Hill? Um, Knock Hill is a track where, you know, you can, there's some overtaking opportunities, but it, again, it's quite narrow and, um, you know, we've we've come from Thruxton, which is very difficult to pass and, you know, Knock Hill does present a few more opportunities and I think because the track's quite small and tight, you know, there's a lot of action, so, um, you know, I've had some great races around Knockhill before where I've come from, from the back to the front. So, um, of course, qualifying is king. You know, it does dictate your weekend. And, uh, you know, right now that's the focus, you know, is you know is trying to, um, you know, work on the car just for that one lap pace and try and get as close to the front as we can. And then, uh, you know, then on Saturday night we'll think about, um, you know, making the car fast over, over the race distance. Now you've had quite a good season so far. How would you sum it up from your perspective? Um, I think you already have. You know, it's um, the the car has been very strong straight out of the box. Uh, you know, I've had five wins so far this season. Uh, you know, last year when I won the championship, I did that with only one win. Uh, you know, but a very consistent scoring over over the years. So. Um, yeah, there's been nowhere that we've struggled this year with 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 the BMW, and again we've been consistent. Uh, you know, been able to score points, um, you know, at every meeting, and, and quite good points at that. And uh, the car's been strong in both wet and dry. So, um, you know, we've been doing our homework, we've been working hard, and um, you know, I think that's showing in our performance. And that hard work and preparation is uh, is key. To um, to success here, uh, can you give us an insight into how the team at West Surrey Racing get everything ready ahead of a race weekend? Yeah, well, the work for for Knock Hill started, you know, three and a half weeks ago when the cars got back from from Thruxton. From Thruxton, uh, you know, the cars stripped down, uh, everything's uh, you know double checked for 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 any cracks or, or or damage, and then the car will be built back up. You know, suspension rebuilt. Uh, dampers put back together and um, you know everything is uh, you know as the car sits it's um, it's like brand new again um, so we had a quick check down uh, in the car at the beginning of the week that's just a bit of a systems check and um, you know the team have been been working hard on, on formulating the best setup um, you know that's that's there's always a lot of deliberation over that you know the 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 best starting setup so uh so hopefully we can hit the ground running on 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 saturday morning and uh you know our hard work will will pay off and you've got a 30 point lead over andrew jordan at the top of the championship what are you expecting going into this weekend uh, it's, it's going to be a tough battle as knock hill always is um you know i'm still Driving with uh, with an attacking mentality, you know, you can't afford to to sit back or be conservative conservative in in, in our series. So you just got to put your best foot forward, uh, try and stay on the front foot, and, and, and keep scoring points. So um, you know, it may be difficult to to win race one, but uh, you know, there's a reverse grid race race three, so uh, there's a good opportunity, um, you know, to win a race or, or still to get on the podium. So uh, you know, my aim is just to keep scoring strongly, uh, try and keep that, that points lead as, as healthy as I can. And finally, what's your message to the fans ahead of this weekend's action? 
Uh, number one is, is to come along. Um, you know, Knockhill is, is one of the best spectator circuits. Um, you know, it, it's it's a great uh, theatre for, for motorsport. And, uh, you know, it's a very open paddock. It's a family day. Uh, you, you can meet the drivers. And, um, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of action, a lot of very exciting racing. So, uh, so yeah, get, definitely get yourself to Knockhill. And, uh, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be a fantastic day out. You'll not regret Right, Colin Turkington there speaking to our man Michael Lenny earlier on Rock Sport Radio. Now, let's move on to the rally stage because the action is underway in Turkey for the 11th round of the World Rally Championship. It's, of course, Toyota's Otanak who leads the way at the top of the standings. He's on 205 points, 33 points clear of Hyundai's Cherry Neuville, with reigning champion Seb Ogier for Citroën in third place on 165 points. Now, Let's look ahead to the action and more with rally expert David Halley, who joins us now. David, this is going to be a real test, not just for the crews, but for the cars this weekend. This is a car breaker. The uh, the event is incredibly rough. And if we recall last year, Tanak played a very clever game and, and didn't go all out from the start. He uh, he screwed the nut, as we say, in, in our part of the world. And, and he uh, came away with a fabulous result while everybody else destroyed their cars round about them. And it, it's going to take that kind of mindset to get through this uh, this weekend. The, the, as you say, the event underway already. Super special. Uh, already taken place not representative of the rest of the, the stages that are coming up Andreas Mickelson and Terry Neuville 1 and 2 in the Hyundai's there but uh, the real action starts tomorrow and, and the stages cut up very badly, very quickly. So the front runners normally on a gravel rally don't get the best of the the, the run because of the dust and, and rubbish on top of the stage. But the, there's a very sweet spot, second, third on the road, which may play into Terry Neuville and Sebastian Ogier's hands. But uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one to, to see. And, and it is, it's over three days, so they have to go that a uh, little bit more carefully, shall we say. They're not going flat out from the start. Mm. Now, David, Toyota has said that the They've tweaked the suspension on that Yaris ahead of this one. And I want to get your thoughts on how Tanak approaches this event because he's won four out of the last five. So, I mean, he doesn't really need any more victories, does he? But that being said, he really doesn't need any retirements either. It is finding a very fine balance, and, and last year, as I say, he was uh, he wasn't anywhere near the, the the top three for most of the event. But the others who were fighting out at the front of the event broke their cars, threw their cars at the scenery, and uh, he came through to win. If we recall, he had the lower spec engine, which he had to run because it the engines you have to use in a pair of events, and they chose the faster engine for Germany before the, the, the flat out stages on tarmac. They went back to the less powerful engine in Turkey. And one of the other things we have to consider is the temperature. We're in temperatures here in the mid-30s. The cars don't have air conditioning in them because that saps power and, and adds weight, two things that rally drivers don't want. But they are sitting there in fireproof overalls, fireproof underwear, in a car that's itself generating a huge amount of heat and in 35-degree ambient temperatures. It's a, it's a test for the drivers to get through as well. David, I want to get your thoughts on how Chris Meek approaches this one because he's fourth in the standings at the moment in 80 points, so best of the rest, effectively. But there's not a lot between him and the chasing pack. And, of course, this is an event as well that's going to be pretty new to him. 
but he's never done this event before. He was uh, um, sacked last year before this event, so hasn't done it before. He was fastest in the shakedown. That worries me slightly with Chris. Chris does have this problem of either being flat out or in a tree, and we have to try and and hope that uh, he, he understands the importance of backing up the, the whole Toyota team thing, which they managed last time out, a Toyota one, two, three, and uh, yeah, I, I hope he, he he's learned enough to know that this is not an event where you go flat out at. But like his mentor, the late Colin McRae, he only seems to know one pace, and he needs to learn to back that off, as we've talked about time and time and time again. David, uh, fair to say another big weekend for Yari Amati, of course, going into the, the, this one off the back of two podium finishes as well. Yes, uh, uh, he's he's had an encouraging uh, run of form in the last couple of events, having been disappointed earlier in the season. He's he's been around this championship for a long time. He's never quite managed to reach the heights of of, of champion because of people called Sebastian, and uh, now he's got somebody called Ott in the same team as him, and. Uh, He's he's really coming out third best out of the three, which is which is not great from his point of view. So he needs to put to continue to put results together. David, let's take a look at Hyundai now and and Thierry in particular because he's he's in a situation now kind of similar to last year where he's now beginning to to trail the leaders. So so how does he how does he go about chasing down Tanak? Because again, I mean they're all in that situation at this stage of the year where they can't afford to make any mistakes. But with with Thierry the wheels kind of came off the bus a little bit towards the end, I feel anyway. So so how does he avoid a repeat this time round? He's had his ups and downs this season and, and that's that's why he is sitting behind uh, 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 Tanak at the moment. And I, it, I think Hyundai's impo- uh, their focus as well as trying to get Thierry the World Championship, they really have to produce a manufacturer's championship. They've been playing around with drivers even over the last week, putting forward different drivers for different events to uh, to try and maximise their chances of, of winning the manufacturer's championship. Toyota closed the gap on them hugely last time out with a 1-2-3 so they've got to really start to, to deal with that as well and uh, yeah it's going to be interesting to see how the other drivers the Andreas and, and Danny uh, support Thierry in trying to get they, they basically need a 1-2-3 with Thierry at the head of them and, and Ott as, as fourth as best um, whether they can do that or not I somehow don't think so but uh, that's what uh, their game plan has got to have to be that's it. Hyundai with just an eight-point advantage over Toyota in the manufacturer standings as well. And and David, we've spoken on the show this season about politically how challenging this year is, not just for Hyundai but for Toyota as well in the manufacturer standings. Both of them all in absolutely determined to be on the top step of that podium come the end of the season. Correct, and, and and Hyundai have have promised much and and haven't delivered a championship of any sort yet. Toyota won the manufacturers last year with a a very good effort from the the, the drivers they had last year, and uh, yes, they're looking to repeat that. But Hyundai have have spent a huge amount of money uh, on the team over the last five years. Uh, they have produced a lot of new cars during that time as, as the Hyundai model range has changed, which has presented its own challenge, but they just haven't managed to, to hold together uh, a team performance. There's been some brilliant, outstanding performances here and there, and Thierry has obviously done his job, um, but uh, yeah, trying to keep uh, the rest of the team together to get a team result is, is proving difficult, but they, I think they really have to do it for their, their paymasters, 
uh, the other side of the world. They, they, they're looking for something they can shout about. Mm. David, uh, in the Citroen camp, Seb Ogier has, has made no secret of the fact that this was an event he felt was very difficult last year. Do you think their approach will be just to sit back on this one and, and maybe just take points off those who perhaps fall by the wayside? Seb's a clever driver. He's, you, you don't get to be world champion many times without using your brain. And I think he will have learned from last year that this is an event to get the car through. We've seen already in the, in the pre-event tests some, some dreadful damage done to cars. We've, uh, it, it, it is a very, very punishing event. And uh, yes, it's, uh, it, he, he, will, he will screw the nut and, and, and bring the car to the finish in the best position he can. But he's not going to go chasing those last seconds to the, to the, the danger of damaging the car. And um, looking to M Sport, we've got a two-car entry of Timo Sunanen and Pontus Tiedemann, who makes his return for the first time since Sweden, his third outing of 2019. How do you think Pontus will get on in this one? Well, he's obviously third on the first stage, but we say that's not representative, so I don't think uh, that's going to necessarily continue to be the, play, the, the, the situation, but uh, they're both quick enough drivers. The car has proven to be quick enough. They just need a little bit of the rub of the green that uh, M-Sport doesn't seem to have been getting lately. The, there have been some some issues uh, with, with the car. Pontus had a problem in shakedown, which they, they, they've managed to resolve before the first stage, but it's a difficult one for, for M-Sport. They're just... Uh, they're obviously used to the heights of the last couple of years with Seb in the car and that little final push is missing unfortunately but the Pontus and Temu are both very very quick drivers if they get the rub of the green they'll be there or thereabouts David, do you think Pontus has a chance of a regular world seat somewhere because also there's a very quick driver in there but I dare say the trouble is we've got lots of good drivers but just not enough cars for them that is exactly the problem. There are not. A, there's only four manufacturers in the championship. Um, they have to run a minimum of two cars, and as we know, M Sport and Citroen are only running the two cars. Uh, so that, that, that there's really effectively only ten world championship seats uh, in, in factory teams, and uh, Hyundai are, are, are moving their drivers around. So. That adds a couple of drivers, not with full programmes, but gets a couple of drivers into it. But there just aren't enough cars for the drivers that go around. The the guys who get to the top of the, the WRC2 Pro Championship, uh, we know Cali Rovampere is in a, in a car for next year in, in a world car. So that leaves at least one potential world car driver out of a drive. So uh, they're all fighting for their seats as they go. And David, we've got the um, Galloway Hills Rally, of course, as well to look forward to this weekend. What should we be keeping an eye out for there? This is a a showdown for the British Rally Championship uh, coming into Scotland, uh, the the Galloway Hills in the south of Scotland on Saturday. Uh, Some superb stages down there and uh, Matt Edwards and Tom Cave fighting out for that championship. It's also the final round of the Scottish Championship. That's been decided in Ewan Thorburn's favour last time out, and he won't be uh, at the, uh, the event this weekend. But that then leaves the, the event itself open to all the Scottish regulars and David Bogie to have a go at to win that event. There are class positions also up for grabs. So, yes, it's uh, going to be a cracking event, and... Uh, it's looking at the moment like the weather's going to be quite favourable as well, so that'll be interesting. And finally, guys, it's the moment we've all been waiting for. You know what that means, David, when I come on the airwaves at prediction time, and we'll start with you. Oh, no, it's not my turn to go first this time. 
You're a real gentleman, that's aren't you? Yeah. That's unbelievable kind. That's <laughs> unbelievable kind. Uh, Thierry Neuville. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. You can you, you, you can have Thierry Neuville. I, I I don't I don't have a problem with that. I'm going to go completely out on a limb and give you a chance. I'm going for Chris Meek. Wow. wow. <laughs> there's, a, there's a wild card entry for you if very ever there was one. Very much so. Yeah, do you know what? I dare say he's due a win, isn't he? And if, you, if you're going to get a, a, any event at any random point in the season, oh, well, let's find out. <laughs> well, 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 we'll find out Sunday night. But yeah. uh, yes, um, it is a very open event. There's no... There's no set way to, 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 to look at this event other than it, it is probably the most random uh, of the season. So let's see what happens. Excellent. David, thanks very much as always for your time here on the show. Not at all. We'll, we'll discuss this next week. <laughs> and that rally expert, David Halley there. Now, we've got time for just a very quick uh, MotoGP roundup because we're all set for the action. Heading to San Marino this weekend, 13th round of the season there, of course. And it's Mark Marquez who leads away at the top. But, yes, he'll be tipped for many to win this weekend, Adam. But, again, you know, Valentino Rossi, a kind of fan's favourite going into this one. Has he got any chance of a podium? Well, that, that's the big question going into to this race. Can Valentino Rossi finally win a Grand Prix? It's been a long wait. 2017, the 25th of June that year, was his last victory, which is just incredible for Valentino Rossi. It really is. Rossi mania, though, started earlier this week because he threw fans into frenzy when he actually saw one of his dreams come true because for years he had hoped to ride his Yamaha bike from his motor ranch to the Mizano circuit and was using public roads. Obviously this was carefully planned, but what a fantastic sight that was. So many fans delighted to see Valentino Rossi, so that was a great, there's some great pictures online of that moment. So yeah, Rossi will be hoping to deliver something for the crowds. It's been a long wait for him, he's had a few chances, there's a few signs that Yamaha seem to be improving, but as you mentioned, Mark Marquez is the man to beat. However, in the past two races, He's lost in the final lap. It really is the golden age for MotoGP. In Austria, it was Andrea De Vizioso in the final lap. And at Silverstone, I don't know how Alex Rins managed to do it, but he did again. Final corner of the final lap on the Suzuki. And he beat Marquez to the line. So Marquez will be wary that he's made sure he's got the final corner covered if he is leading come Sunday. And of course, a big event for Ducati, their second home race um, as well. They'll be keen to put on a good showing. They certainly will. For Ducati, again, it's been a disappointing year for them. They would have hoped to have uh, challenged for the Riders' Championship with Andrea Di Vizio. So I think the positives for this year are Danilo Petrucci certainly showed some great fight. Of course, got that famous victory at Mugello earlier this year, which was incredible. So he'll be hoping that he can have a few good results. It was a poor weekend in Silverstone, of course, Dobby really injured um, in Silverstone with that nasty first lap crash and they're going to be entering in Michele Piro as well as a wild card so Ducati the factory team will have three riders in this event and they'll be hoping imagine if we see an all three Ducati on the podium mm. and uh, what about Britain's Cal Crutchlow uh, how do you think he'll fare Adam? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Cal gets on. I mean, you know, Silverstone really presented some fascinating interviews with Cal. He was very open in saying that perhaps, you know, he could, could be retired at the end of next season. And I think that would be a real shame for British motorsport because Cal has been sensational. 
Um, they had a test in Mizano and he just didn't seem to have a good feeling on the bike at all when he stopped early on the first day and he admitted that it was just to reset because he just didn't feel competitive on the bike so he always comes into a weekend optimistic Cal and circumstances can change quickly and he'll give 100% to see how he gets on um, but it probably would be a tough one based on the testing but we said that in Qatar with his injury and he got a podium and a quick word on Andrea Iannone. Some interesting news from him. Yep, well, he's going to be managing with his brother Romano Fanati. And, of course, he was the rider that was banned um, for that crazy incident of basically pulling the brake lever of another opponent at 100 kilometres per hour. So Andrea Iannone, quite incredible. He and his brother helping out Fanati as he tries to make a comeback. And um, we'll ask you very briefly, Adam, for your predictions, excluding Mark Marquez, in a word, go on. Andrea De Vizio, so. <laughs> There you are. All right. We'll see how you get on next week, Adam, because that's all we've got time for on pole position. But we'll be back from 8 o'clock next Thursday night to do it all again. My thanks to Adam, to our guests, and to you for joining us as well. Stay tuned for The Rock Zone, coming up next. Love music. Live sport. Pole position with Andy Alston and Adam Todd on Rock Sport Radio.